Welcome to Puritan's Read. Reading aloud great Puritan works, authors, and biographies. Today, episode 11 of The Wiles of Satan. Device 4. A fourth device of this spiritual Abaddon wherein he cheats thousands is by dividing the end from the means or by busying them in the use of false and ineffectual means to attain the end or by causing them to use good means in an undue and sinful manner. It is a piece of Satan's sophistry to separate the means and the end and to make men presume that though the one is neglected, the other may be obtained. To this folly he would have tempted our Savior, Matthew 4, verse 6, when he set Christ upon the pinnacle of the temple. He tempted him to cast himself down and thereby give proof of his sonship and God's fatherly care in protecting him. But as it is a sin to distrust God in the want of means, it is no lesser sin to presume to be saved without them when they may be had. It is not honoring God by an absolute trust in him, but tempting him by a wanton pride in subjecting his power to act and work according to our pleasure. But though Christ has armed men against this sophism of the tempter by his own example, who would not resort to reliance on God for safety in an extraordinary way when not debarred of the common and usual way, how great is the number of those who tempt God by unwarrantable practices, throwing themselves into needless dangers and extremities, so that his power may appear in their deliverance and preservation. Cassian tells a story of three persons who, confident in God's providing for them, took a tedious journey into the desert, in which two of them miserably died with hunger. Only the third returned as a sad spectacle of their folly, Brentius relates the story of an Anabaptist woman who invited many friends to supper, but took no care to have anything to set before them, presuming that the table would be furnished by God. But what are these presumptions in which men thus divide between the end and the means any other than the scorn and laughter of those who deride their folly and yet through the seduction of the devil, become guilty of far greater ones. When they are confident of heaven and careless of holiness, they are secure of the end and yet tread not one step in the way that would bring them to it. Are not these as vain as those who expect a harvest without a seed time? Can any perish with more clear self-convictions of God's justice in condemning them than these? Do they need to look into the decrees of God 
to see the roots of their miscarriage or into their own consciences. May not they say that the serpent has beguiled them while they have hearkened to the counsels of him who was a liar and a murderer from the beginning. The subtlety of Satan touching the end and the means is seen in his putting men on the pursuit of those ways and mediums which do not in the least serve or conduce to the end for which they are used, so that, though the intended end is good, yet they fall as equally short of it as those who do nothing at all to obtain it, and are like misguided patients who by their medicines are not cured, but killed. And who can count the thousands, or rather myriads, who are held under the power of this delusion of the devil? May we not ask the most of those who busy themselves in seeking a state of happiness? Why do you lay out your money for that which is not bread? Why are you as those who build in the fire where the structure consumes as fast as it is raised? Let us look abroad a little and see if this is not true. Do we need to take a view of that strange and sudden spread of Mohammedanism? The seductions of this brutish impostor have prevailed to delude nations and kingdoms who have subjected themselves to his laws and are drunk with the expectation of his carnal promises? Or shall we confine our prospect to the Roman profession of religion, though they impropriate salvation in themselves and exclude all others who do not come within the pale and verge of their church? They have yet dangerously swerved from the rule and path of life. Harlot-like, they have laid the dead child in the room of the living child, their own corrupt fancies and inventions in the place of God's institutions and in the observation of lying vanities forsake their own mercies. God has set in the church, not as a trimmed lamp in the sanctuary, but as the fixed sun in the firmament, the good word of his truth, to disclose fully the knowledge of his will, which is the just measure of all that obedience which he both requires and rewards. But in this great luminary, they have found what some astronomers have of late discovered in the sun, a face stained with dark spots, and therefore they charge it with obscurity and defectiveness, taking unwritten traditions to be the guide and rule of their faith, as well as the word, though all the light in them is but as the blaze of a candle that is neither sweet nor certain. God has called himself a God who hears prayer, and that unto him all flesh shall come. Psalm 65, verse 2. But 
they have imparted this divine honor to saints, for which they have neither precept, promise, nor example in the scriptures, robbing God of the glory of his goodness, whose arms are always stretched out to receive those who come to him in Christ's name. His compassions are ever yearning towards their necessities and ready to answer their prayers with his bounty. So what need can there be of heavenly courtiers to render him more propitious to the fulfilling of their requests? God has made eternal life to be of grace, not of works, that it might be surely his gift. Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 9, it is his promise to them who love him. James 1, verse 12, he has, as Augustine said, made himself a debtor, not by receiving anything from us, but by promising all to us. But the Romanists, going about to establish their own righteousness, have chosen rather to plead their title unto it by way of right and justice and to assert a dignity and value in their works to which the reward is due not of grace but of debt. Can we think these are apt mediums to bring the soul and salvation together? Are they not rather chains of glass that are more specious than strong? Are they not artifices rather than realities brought in by those who, in the apostles' dialect, are seducing spirits? 1 Timothy 4 verse 1 and are embraced by those who received not the love of the truth that they might be saved? Second Thessalonians 2 verse 10 Have we not then just ground to depart from the tents of these men as Israel did from the tabernacle of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram and to touch nothing of theirs lest we be consumed in all their sins. They may return unto us, but we cannot return unto them according to God's command to the prophet, Jeremiah 16, verse 19, unless we should change the truth of God into a lie and serve the creature more than the creator, who is blessed forever. The subtlety of Satan touching the end and the means is seen also in making men miscarry in the use of right means by their using them in an undue manner and so to fail of the end for which they are appointed by God. This is the way he prevails over multitudes of professing Christians whose duties, though done, daily prove wholly fruitless in the issue because of their heedless manner of performing them. Prayer is the key of blessing, which alone opens the treasures of heaven, both in regard of grace and comfort, and yet. How many ask and do not receive because they ask amiss? 
The echo does not return an answer to every sound any more than God does every prayer. Duties without life provoke God rather than please him and gratify Satan rather than trouble him. That was episode 11 of The Wiles of Satan by William Spurstow.